When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Yeah, I do. But I think they're a lot more healthy now, too. You know, they... You know, they, they were missing, you know, they missed Erwin James for a long time. They missed uh, Okun. He's back. Uh, you know, so they've, they've had some guys that have been hurt. They missed uh, Gordon for quite a while. You know, so they got a lot more weapons now. That was Mike Zimmer. Welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here. Sage Rosenfels with me as well. What is going on, Sage? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, waiting to pick up my kids from school after the show. <laughs> That's what I do every Wednesday. All right. Well, we'll make sure you uh, get that opportunity to do so. But for the next hour, we will talk football. And uh, we're going to have Charlie Casserly on to talk a little NFL 100 list. The countdown continues Friday uh, at 7 o'clock. So I've been fascinated with this NFL 100 countdown where they named the 100 greatest players ever. And Charlie Casserly is going to come on and talk about that, plus all of his experience uh, in front offices, I want to know how he would approach a Kirk Cousins or Delvin Cook extension. So we will get to that. But let's start, uh, Sage, with Philip Rivers. And um, now, first of all, Mike Zimmer had a couple of funny lines about Philip Rivers and trash talk, where he said that Philip would run by him and say, "You call that a blitz?" Or whatever. Like that's that's pretty great. But I, I just want to know from you, Sage. He's not a traditional quarterback in that his throwing motion is not perfect. He is a risk taker in an era where quarterbacks rarely like to take risks anymore, but he'll just heave it up old school. What do you see when you watch Phillip Rivers? Well, he's a guy that competes, and uh, it seems like he gives his team uh, a chance to win every week. He's a guy that, like, you know, I feel like that organization too is you know one of the tougher organizations to win in for for a lot of different reasons uh whether it's just the 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 way they don't uh probably spend enough money on scouting and the, you know that that all that type of stuff it just seems like they don't have enough good players they, they're not with, great with drafts for the most part but philip rivers over the course of the last uh was it 16 years or something has sort of consistently given them a chance to win and that that would to me be his one of his biggest strengths and he he's a guy that can bring his team back sometimes but he also yeah he throws too many receptions shoot he went on a little run recently where he threw three four interceptions and back-to-back games and people are talking about 
maybe they should finally sit him and start to think about really moving on. So, uh, But he does give his team a chance to win. He has always thrown for a gazillion yards o- o- over his career. And, uh, and you know, the, the, I think he'll test uh, the Vikings secondary this week, just like a lot of teams have been testing it over the course of the season. Quarterback question for you, though I feel like I may have asked you every quarterback question over the last two years since we've been doing this. But I, I don't think I ever have asked you, how much did you use to study other quarterbacks? Now, I know that your career in Phillip Rivers don't exactly time up, but... If you were a quarterback, and you teach quarterbacks with your QB collective thing that you do, I mean, are you showing tape of Phillip Rivers? Because I would think that Kirk Cousins would be more of a guy that you would show tape of, like his technique for throwing the ball is really good, he seems to get to the reads and, and things like that. And Rivers always has this sort of not really traditional, kind of make something work, throw it at a weird angle, that type of thing, that has as a football watcher, always attracted me to Phillip Rivers, always made me want to root for him. I just always enjoy quarterbacks that don't play the same way that you're kind of supposed to, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it's a real surprise that you like the unorthodox guy. Right. Um, I, you know, do, it, I do. I do. I, I don't always like the, like, put him in a box type of quarterback, which is probably yeah, like Carson weird for Palmer. You. Like, Carson Palmer, to me, is like, okay, that guy obviously was told exactly how to throw from a young age. He was probably trained. Of course, he's from California, Southern California, where they, they did this. They do this a lot more than they do in the Midwest, but trained from a fairly young age to have perfect footwork and a perfect throwing motion. It's very efficient, and it looks good, and all those things, and Here's Philip Rivers with with not that, uh, yeah, unorthodox throwing motion, but it's sort of like uh, uh, hitting a baseball. You know, it's uh, every batter is a little bit different, but at the sort of the the point of contact. If you look at a lot of hitters, a lot of times they're very similar, and I would say that with Philip as well. Yes, sometimes it's a little bit more sidearm, uh, but uh, but at, at that, if you look at everything else, his his feet, his hips, his you know the other aspects of his body. It's very similar to you know Tom Brady in some ways, just coming off with a lower angle. So he's always been a very good thrower of the football, always been very, very accurate, and also rarely gets hurt. I mean, he had that ACL back in the day when he played, was it, was it the AFC Championship game? And played against through the Colts it, yes. or something yeah. like that? Uh, in the and, but, but other than that, he has you know, played more often than not over this long stretch here, uh, and that's a testament, too. He's a big, strong guy. People don't realize how big he is. He's, you know, Peyton Manning was a big guy. Uh, I one time was out in Southern California, out in San Diego training. Uh, uh, it was like July, sort of before training camp. I went out there for a week, and, and you know, he's a guy that can go over to, to the dumbbells, you know, the individual dumbbells, and go about 150 apiece. On those things for you know three sets of eight or whatever six on the bench press. I mean, I mean insanely strong guy. I mean, at my best, I was maybe doing nineties uh, at that point, but and I was not all that strong. But he was a very, very one of the stronger quarterbacks in the league, and obviously that's one of the reasons he really gets hurt. And and his again at the whole uh, Bud Grant thing, his best ability is your availability, and and he's almost always available for this Chargers you know, for this Chargers offense. It's one of the things that. Uh, I, I guess, always wondered if it would change with quarterback coaches and things like that, quarterback gurus, if we would see a change in you know, just getting robotic quarterbacks. And, and again, it's not a diss on Kirk Cousins. He's very good. 
uh, and is having a great season this year, and he's a quarterback you want on your team. But um, I, I always wondered, like, are we going to end up with every quarterback kind of looking the same eventually? And like you said, being from California, and Rivers always gave me hope here, and I guess now the new wave of guys like Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson who will play the game a little bit differently and, and use their legs more often, um, make it that as well. And I always thought, Sage, even though he, uh, Mike Zimmer commented on Rivers' arm strength, that it was one of the things where if you were trying to learn how to scout quarterbacks, the one thing you would look at Philip Rivers for is the anticipation where his guy won't even be open. He won't be out of his break yet and Rivers will throw it. And when you look at it on the coach's tape from behind him, like what did he see there to know to throw it to that spot? And that's always blown my mind. Is that, is that, is that just like a, his brain works better at this than yours does type of thing? Because he's one of the best at that. I think it's because the first three years in the league, he watched Drew Brees. I think that's where that's from. I think it's there's a reason Aaron Rodgers is you know super creative and does some of the types of crazy football that he's done over the years. Well, he watched Brett Favre for a couple of years and go, okay, you can play like that and have success. And I think with Rivers, who doesn't have a, a super strong arm, and Brees, who definitely doesn't have a strong arm, those guys, all about anticipation. It's all about truly understanding the, the fine, fine details of defense. And then obviously, you know, uh, different coverages and where the holes are and where your guys are going to be. Uh, but then the accuracy, you know, anticipation is a lot of things. It's footwork, it's accuracy, um, uh, and and that's where you know he he's very very good at that without having a an absolute can. A lot of times he just sort of floats the ball out there, but he throws it early. Uh, but it's on time, and and uh, it's, a lot of times it's out it's out as you said it's out before the receiver comes out of his break. So he's been doing it a long time, and and uh, you know we were talking about that throwing motion thing, by the way. I think like some of the ways that we teach with this quarterback collective stuff that I do is you know everyone has their own natural motion and we actually try to go away from trying to make everybody throw the same hmm. you know and I think that's really really important that every you know every everyone has their own uh, shot like for basketball you know LeBron shoots different than Steph Curry who shoots different than Clay Thompson you know Clay Thompson Steph Curry two great shooters they don't shoot the exact same so everyone has a different body and everyone's angles are different with their arms and their shoulders and their upper body and their lower body and so everyone's going to have their own sort of natural motion what we try to do is sort of uh, just sort of uh, uh, chisel that I guess you know sort of cut off all the maybe a little bit of the waist or maybe a, a bit of a ball drop or uh, something with your on your left side as we like to say uh, with your with your left arm and your left shoulder where's that uh, and the location of that but we definitely try not to put everybody sort of into one box uh, because everyone has their own natural throwing motion and obviously rivers uh, has uh, you know had this long career with a very unique throwing motion so I, I was listening to uh, Dan Lebitard this morning and he was kind of going off about quarterbacks and how we don't know how to figure out whether they're good or not until we have a massive sample. And then there's still even debates that we have constantly, which I think makes the sport really fun because even if you're not super knowledgeable about whether it's cover four or whatever, man to man, um, you could still watch and have opinions on football because you can always just focus on the guy with the ball in his hands all the time. Uh, but I, I thought it was a really interesting point because um, some of his co-hosts were talking about how Drew Locke looks really, really good. And 
we've seen lots of quarterbacks look good for a game, and then we don't know even for a season. You mentioned earlier that you loved a bunch of stuff that Kyle Allen did, and then right after that, he fell apart, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not well, I saw that one game uh, versus Green Bay. I'm like, man, this kid is out here right. competing. Yeah, he I wouldn't great. go back to Cam Newton either, and then uh, he sort of fall apart the last right. couple of weeks. And, and you played in the damn NFL. <laughs> like it really is. It really is fascinating, though. So when when we're trying to decide. Uh, who is good, who is not good. We're trying to project when we're looking at guys in college, we're looking at guys who they draft and bring in and they play early in their careers. And and there is a a bigger point that I'm going to get to eventually with this. But I I still think no matter how many analytics we have and data and everything else, all the data pointed to Baker Mayfield being amazing, but the thing that we missed with him is that he's a D-bag, right? Like So, (laughs) I mean... It, Some of us missed that. Isn't it? I will say uh, I have receipts. I did not miss that. Uh, he was not my favorite guy. <laughs> Lamar Jackson was my favorite guy. I'm a genius. Everyone else is dumb. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I've gotten plenty wrong. I thought Manziel, though, and he also had the bag issue. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought Manziel would be great. Like, oh, this guy runs around and you look at this arm strength and athleticism. He'll be great. Um, and, and we get it wrong all the time. So I guess I'm I'm thinking about this recently quite a bit about how do we figure out in 2019 who is good at playing quarterback? Well, I think that's the hardest thing to judge many times is is you know there's a lot of aspects of quarterback and you know the, I love the Twitter uh, conversation that talks about is winning a quarterback stat because it's like it shouldn't be but it does matter like. Tim Tebow was not a very good quarterback, but I tell you what, he won a lot of football games in college. Don't tell, don't tell the University of Florida that wins don't matter, you know, for the quarterback, right? Winning sort of everything for the quarterback in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, I think there's so many things that go into is this guy going to be good or not? And, you know, the, 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 that's the problem with the combine, these private workouts is, you know, everyone usually looks pretty dang good in those things. And they'll say, yeah, he threw 68 balls and, you know, only two hit the ground. And, oh, man, look at this. But, you know, obviously it's nothing like playing an NFL game in front of 75,000 people on the road and, you know, this, that, and the other. And the blitz is coming after you. You know, the, those private workouts, all that stuff is, com- you know, completely gone to waste, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's hard. It's a hard position to judge. I'm big on um, trying to talk to the guys around him, the guys he played with, mm-hmm. yeah. the guys that he coached with. Um, there's something about people who are winners, like sort of winners in life and winners on the football field. And, you know, Drew Brees, if you can just, okay, does he have some of that Drew Brees, you know, type of stuff? And I don't know what that is. It's focus. It's it's the ability to, to raise other people's uh, abilities around you. You know, if you can watch that and see that in college over the guy that has the beautiful arm and he's six foot four and he's 230 pounds and he ran a four, seven, five and he has, okay, he, he does all these other uh, criteria, he checks out all these other boxes. But, you know, is he a winner? Uh, and then this one thing is uh, how much information can you process? And that's mm-hmm. actually a newer yeah. thing now that they're more getting into. And we work with, we, we do that with the quarterback collective stuff that we do is, we have these uh, systems where we talk, where we, we have these kids uh, uh, figure out what type of processing can they do. And, you know, there's different types of, you know, processing you can do in your own mind, but to have multiple things going on at once and your, your brain be able to process that very quickly and see different concepts and see how defenses work and see if your mind 
can become an anticipate, you know, be a person that can anticipate. Yeah. Uh, that's all sort of the new science that's going on uh, of trying to predict whether a quarterback is going to be good or not, because that's, that's, those are way different numbers than just those physical things uh, that we see on the field. And, and from my perspective, you know, I like obviously the numbers. No one's missed that listening to the show. Um, but I like to kind of put quarterbacks into different types of bins of not just like tier one, tier two, tier three, or something like that, but what do they need to succeed? What could they possibly overcome? What is the ceiling? What is the floor? How dynamic can they be? And that will tell us, I think, how much they're going to win. Because if you have, let's say Lamar Jackson is a good example of this. Lamar Jackson has, if he's not the best coach in the league, if we DQ Belichick for cheating all the time, then John Harbaugh is the best coach in the league. He's got the offensive coordinator who is a genius behind uh, Colin Kaepernick years ago that took them to the Super Bowl. So it's a perfect setup for him. It's a brilliant offense. They play to his strengths. They run him all the time. They give him throws that he can make as opposed to trying to ask him to be a drop-back quarterback. And then he's dynamic. And he's a special person that people follow. And, and, and it's like that's the perfect cocktail right there. Is he has some skill that nobody else has, like that ability to run. That's kind of like Rivers would have that anticipation that very few people have. And then you add the character to it and what he needs. Philip Rivers at times has not had a good situation and at other times has. And when, he needs, uh, when he's got a great situation, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And then I look at someone like Cousins, where his shortcoming is he's not really dynamic. But he does have a skill in deep accuracy that's better than everybody else. And so here's Kevin Stefanski giving him the the tools he needs to succeed. And and that's how you can all put it together. So even with Baker Mayfield, I don't think he's a good leader. I do think he's got processing issues. But he also has a coach who's a complete fool and a joke. Well, that's there you you go. So there's there's something there. So I guess that's that's how I put it into the different bins is, does this guy have everything he needs? Then we know how good he is truly. What does this guy need, and is that why he's not winning? So, yeah, does this guy have everything he needs, and that starts with coaching. Before we start talking about, like, what are the players around him and the receivers and what's the line and, and all those types of things is, you know, who are the coaches from the head coach down to, the, in particular, the offensive coordinator and the O-line coach? Uh, O-line coaches, the importance of a, the, the right type of O-line coach with the right coordinator, people don't realize how important that is. I think it's, other than maybe quarterback, the hardest position to coach, uh, you know, on the field. You're coaching five guys to be perfect uh, against great athletes on the other side. So I'm, uh, you know, a big believer in having that, that right type of style, right type of coach. The coach understands the details. And, of course, what we just generally see is, oh, he, you know, he's a good play caller. Well, there's all this that goes into before you even get to the play calling. How do you actually design the right types of plays and put in the right types of game plans that, you know, that help out a quarterback and, and help out an offensive line and take advantage of a team's weaknesses? So coaching in football is, is so important, and I think more important than I think I said the other day, more important than, than any, other, any other sport. And, uh, uh, and that's where I think, you know, Kirk Cousins, um, both with, with the style of offensive line and with that coaching staff, uh, he is in the perfect system for him, and Lamar Jackson is too, and and uh, and I think I think Pat Mahomes is also probably in the perfect system. Oh yes, uh, you know yes. F- with with Andy Reid, right? So you know those those are situations where um, you know I, I think I, more quarterbacks than not, uh, like and a, 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 a lot of quarterbacks I think would be fairly successful in Kevin Stefanski's offense, like. Uh- 
Kirk's doing a great job, but it's an offense that really does make the life of life for a quarterback much easier than other offenses out there. And, and we're uh, seeing that from Jimmy Garoppolo too, with with playing with Kyle Shanahan, and then we saw it with Jared Goff for years, and we might see it over the final stretch. And I guess the the way that I, I've started to think of it, Sage, is quarterbacks who could definitely win the Super Bowl. Like, I'm super confident, yeah, this guy will win a Super Bowl. That's Patrick Mahomes. Or, you know, uh, probably Lamar is up there in, in close to that. But Mahomes, I'm certain of. I'm certain this guy can win. That's only a couple guys. I am certain that Tom Brady could still win the Super Bowl this year. I'm certain that Drew Brees could win the Super Bowl. Russell Wilson, right? And then there's the next level of, I think so, but I'm not really sure. And that's been me for Rivers' entire career. Yes. Yeah. It, it, not just because he hasn't done it, but at any point in his career, you could have asked me, is Phillip Rivers a Super Bowl quarterback? I'd be like, I think so, but I'm not really 100% sure. But how much does that have to do with his actual team? Yeah, right? see, I mean, that's, that's hard that, because that's he hasn't been good is, in the playoffs. If he, but, but if he would have been on, I think, a team like what Minnesota has this year, you know, more consistently over his career, rather than being on a team that seemed like was always having issues, always having contract problems, uh, always doing a poor job of drafting players. They've moved the entire franchise. Now, how many head coaches has he had now? Four, five? Head uh, co- six, quite a, head, quite five head coaches, few, maybe? Yeah. Right? So constant turnover. Uh, you know, no quarterback wins in those situations and does well. You, there's a long history of quarterbacks doing poorly when they've had different coordinators every single year. Uh, and here you have a situation in, in Minnesota where there's a ton of consistency within the organization. Yeah. There's a lot of consistency at the top um, with, with Rick Spielman sort of on down. And obviously Zimmer's been here for a while, and uh, and they've kept a lot of players around. So a very consistent organization as far as keeping a lot of people intact, a lot of good people intact. Uh, then you have San Diego, which is, you know, there's a reason – there is a reason Eli Manning did not go to San Diego, or I should say the L.A. Chargers now. But yeah. there, there is there is a real reason there. Uh, basically, he was told not to go there uh, because it's such a disaster uh, right. with, with the yeah. owner and with the GM and yeah. the whole thing that, that nobody thought uh, they could win San Diego. And even though Philip Rivers has been a great player for a long time, of course, they have not won the Super Bowl. And, and obviously, uh, Eli's won too. So so good decision by he and, and Archie's part there. Yeah, I, I do think that he falls under the category of he could. But when I also look at his playoffs, he almost has a full season of playoff games and an 84 quarterback rating and a lot of performances. I mean, look at last year against uh, the New England Patriots, which is not it's not easy. It's the New England Patriots, and he's and also like whatever. by the way playing the Patriots and playing like the Colts. Yes, you know it's, what I mean during those years. Just that, even no, his no, no one was winning those games. His right? performance is just like not great in the playoffs, yeah. and it's kind of been like a very much Kirk Cousinsy career since very early on when he went 14 and two and then 13 and three the one year. Since then, though. I mean, a lot of nine and seven, eight and eight, nine and seven, nine and seven, and I'm not saying that he couldn't have at any point gotten a good break in the playoffs or a better team or whatever and gotten all the way. He's just in that second cut to where I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure that it ever should have happened for you. Like with Dan Marino, I'm a hundred percent sure it should have happened for Dan Marino and it just didn't. Um, but Rivers is kind of a, a cut below that. Um, and then I get into the needs everything to go amazingly for you to get there. That'd be like your Dilfer or Rex Grossman to like, wait, that guy played in a Super Bowl? Sure did. And I think Cousins falls somewhere in the middle between those two categories where 
If you told me that Kirk Cousins was playing in a Super Bowl, I'd be like, oh, oh, okay, wow, something must have gone really right for him. Rex Grossman started a Super Bowl. Yeah, but the, right. So I, I wouldn't be super shocked, but I think it everything has to go right, whereas there are quarterbacks like Russell Wilson that the way he plays, that team wouldn't even have to be perfect, and he could still get them there. So I think that's probably the difference between and, and the way that I would start to categorize quarterbacks in today's game. Well, one of the issues right now with Philip Rivers, <clears throat> excuse me, is that he's thrown too many interceptions this year. Uh, you know, Jameis Winston leads the league again uh, with interceptions, and stunning. Philip is <laughs> stunning revelation. Uh, but he has 15 uh, interceptions this year, and and that that's you know if you look at a lot of the Chargers stats on the season, they actually have a lot more positive stats oh, yeah, uh, over do, their yep. opponents, minus 10 in turnover ratio. Mm-hmm. Minus ten turnover ratio, and that will get you to a five and eight record. Despite the the fact that almost game after game, statistically they're outplaying their opponent, but they keep turning the ball over. And, and Philip is is right at the heart of that uh, with with his fifteen interceptions. Yep, no, he is. So we're going to talk with uh, Charlie Casserly in just a, a couple of minutes here when we come back from the other side of the break. And um, I, I don't know if uh, you've been keeping up with the NFL 100 list, Sage, but it's the reason to make lists that they end up being controversial so that uh, people end up debating them. And there have been a few times where I've gone, really? You didn't include Thurman Thomas? Give me a break, Charlie. So uh, we're, we're going to talk. He was on the panel of a bunch of all-time great coaches, executives, some players as well. To, um, to to create this list. So we're going to discuss that with him and then get his front office perspective on contract extensions for players like Kirk Cousins and Delvin Cook. So we'll do that next, and Sage will sharpen his interviewing skills even more. Sage, you're becoming full media guy. Look at you. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I had a, a little short run with uh, Charlotte Cassidy. You did, yeah. He I, didn't trade for you, did he? No, I was a free agent, and I signed, well, and then they, they right. let him go not long after that. One of those deals where I think they kept Basically, him on. Basically, he signed you, and they were like, nope. Yeah, I nope, think they sort of kept him on through the draft. <laughs> you, know, you know how they do that when they like yes. switch out free yes. agents? They wait till after the draft, and, uh-huh. then, the, and then the uh, GMs get fired or whatever. Yes. So yep. that's what basically happened with him. Well, okay, we won't bring that up. So we'll <laughs> talk with Charlie Casserly from NFL Network. When we return here, you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. A reminder, the Score North podcast network consists of more than a dozen shows from Purple Daily and Raised by Wolves to The Scoop with Doogie and Royce Unchained. You can find a full list of these Minnesota sports podcasts over at scorenorth.com and the Score North mobile app or just search SKOR North, Score North, anywhere you find your podcast. Mike Zimmer today talked about what he sees in Phillip Rivers as the Vikings are heading out to Los Angeles to play them this weekend. Here's what he said. Yeah. He, you know, it's surprising. You know, he's 38 years old. He's very, very smart. He's always been He's always been very smart. He's always been a great competitor. Um, you know, you, you'd think that at some point the arm strength would go down a little bit, but he hit uh, a couple bombs in that game. He's And he's going to throw the ball uh, into tight tight spaces. He's going to give the receivers a chance. 
Um, and really, in that game, uh, you know, there was a couple guys coming over over the middle open, and he he took the shot down the, down the middle. So if, if he sees one guy running with one guy, he's going to give him the opportunity to go get it. And, and they made, you know, a couple tremendous plays there. He also had a, you know, there was a play where they snuck the tight end out. It was wide open one time, too. That's been your score on Thunlow, and I'm back to Purple Daily. I love how Zimmer adds that in there. Yeah, well, then he made a wide open throw. So uh, Zimmer was great at the podium today. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, and now we welcome into the show longtime NFL executive, three-time Super Bowl champion, uh, now works for NFL Network, and his, uh, was part of a Blue Ribbon panel which voted to determine the NFL 100 all-time team. Charlie Casserly, how are you, Charlie? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, I love NFL history, so I have been watching all of these features and listening to Chris Collinsworth and Bill Belichick tell stories. The one with Ed Reed was just perfect for me because that's that's sort of my early teenage years of loving football, talking about Ed Reed just being a freak and understanding football at a level that none of us ever could. Um, But I can't imagine, Charlie, how crazy difficult it must be to whittle down the entire NFL history to 100 players. Tell me what that was like being part of that panel you know the first thing is uh and i this may be a odd comment to make there, there's more than 100 players that should be in the top 100 that that becomes immediately evident to you <laughs> yes i bet we got uh, the first list we got had 800 players on it um and and so we're added to that okay on top of it um and the second thing is you had the golden era the 20s and the 30s uh which obviously none of us saw that there was some old take that some of the committee looked at to try to rate the top players there uh but that's like a whole nother era of football i mean no you're talking about obviously playing two ways uh you know limited equipment the ball was uh you know like a basketball almost so that group is uh, one group then obviously you've got all the different eras the uh, the 40s the 50s etc how do you balance that so what i did was there was a committee report on the 20s and 30s so I took that and I tried to include in my final list of players one of those players all the time to honor that group. Then I took all the the all decade teams and the top seven and the seventy fifth anniversary team, and that was my cut list. I worked from there primarily, but that doesn't include the players in the last twenty five years. So uh, you work on the all decade teams there just to kind of simplify the thing a little bit. Um, but balancing the years was the hardest thing to do. Uh, that was the hardest thing to do. it, And I tried to do that uh, and when I voted. And the vote was all secret ballots, so none of us know how anybody else voted, and none of us know hmm. what happens this Friday. Hey, Charlie, Sage Rosenfels here. Uh, obviously, you were... Sage, uh, good, to hear, good to hear from you. Hey, good to, good to chat with you, too. Obviously, for a long time, you were uh, you know, the general manager, ran the show over there in Washington uh, with the Redskins. And you know, talk to me about uh, having a couple guys on the list. Obviously, the head coach, Joe Gibbs, on the list. And obviously, that little guy, that little cornerback, Daryl Green, talking about uh, you know, having a couple of different guys that you worked with on this NFL 100 list. Well, let's take Daryl. You know, Daryl, when we drafted him, was uh, 5'8", 169 pounds. Now, you go you go into that shopping mall in Minnesota, how many people are 5'8", 169 pounds? <laughs> okay. All right. And how many people are bigger than that? Everybody. Uh, and the guy competed for 20 years. Um, I thought he was the greatest corner in the history of the game because he had played at the highest level for the longest time. He always covered the number one guy on the other team. Um, fearless at his size. Uh, you know, he, you know, he kind of joke about his tackling, but hey, 
at that size, he went out and he, he made tackles. But he was a shutdown corner. Um, the other thing about him that's kind of lost is when he was he was in college, he tied for the fastest 100 meters in the world. Hmm. He could have gone to the Olympics, and it was him and Carl Lewis competing for the gold. That's how fast he was. Um, so that's what I remember about him. Tremendous competitor. Um, now, Joe, what was interesting when we did the research here was uh, in the history of the NFL, there's only seven coaches, and God knows how many coaches there have been, that won three championships or more. That, that, I, that was mind-boggling to me. Two of them were George Hallis, who I think coached for 40 years, and Curly Lambeau, who was with, primarily with the Packers. He was like 34 years. And they won multiple championships, over three. So now you have five guys who didn't coach forever that won three championships. He was one of them, and he did it with three different quarterbacks. Nobody ever did that. And uh, he had a number of other great accomplishments, but I, obviously I voted for him, and you know, I'm glad he got in. Uh, I was worried about it because it's so hard to do, but what he did, no one ever accomplished in the history of the game. Talking with Charlie Casserly, NFL Network Now. He's part of a panel to decide the NFL 100 all-time team, which uh, 7 o'clock Central on NFL Network on Friday, revealing the offensive linemen and tight ends. Um, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed watching uh, the rundown of the running backs, defensive linemen, and you mentioned the, the secondary there with, with Daryl Green. What was the hardest in terms of position groups? Because I thought, Charlie, that running backs must have been extremely hard. And my guy, Thurman Thomas, I grew up in Buffalo, Charlie, got left off of this. I was heartbroken for Thurman. He's a great guy. Uh, I got to know him a little bit when I was in media there. Um, but but I look at that list and I go, well, who am I going to bump off for it to, to get Thurman in yeah. there? What, what was the toughest position for you? You know, it's an excellent question. And there wasn't one that was easy. And I'm not being politically correct. You start going through the ones so far, and I had players that I voted and didn't get on. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, like, my goodness. Uh, and I understood it. I understood it. Uh, but there wasn't an easy position. Uh, you know, for example, uh, if, you, if you take quarterbacks, okay, we don't know. None of us know who the top ten quarterbacks are. Mm-hmm. But if you start checking it off and you're going to take Sammy Ball, who was uh, the first great quarterback in the NFL, then you got Sid Luckman in the 40s. I think he won four championships. Otto Graham went to 10 championship games in a row. Uh, Johnny Unitas, who won championships, but was probably the, the next great modern quarterback with the two-minute drill. Um, you know, now, now, now you start to start eating up spots here. And then, of course, Brady's in there. Uh, Peyton Manning, you got you got to vote for him. I mean, John Elway. Uh, and you start going there. And now, all of a sudden, you run out of spots. And there'll be some great quarterbacks. So every position was very difficult. Every position was very difficult uh, to uh, uh, come down to. And I'll give you one other quick one on the coaches. All right, I say this is a ride home. I'm riding home. I can do this one. Uh, first of all, we got George Hallis and Curly Lambeau with Green Bay. Those were the first two great coaches. Then you got Paul Brown. Vince Lombardi, okay, that, uh, no one's going to argue that. Then you got Shulin Belichick, no one's going to argue that. Then you got Nolan Landry, no one's going to argue. I go, oh my God, I'm at eight already. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do with you know Joe Gibbs and Bill Parcells and Bill Walsh and a guy called Wee Beogank who won three championships? So and, and you can go on and on with other coaches. So there wasn't one that you didn't get into that. Oh my God, what do I do on these last couple of spots? 
Well, can we talk about people that aren't on the list? These are, these are the the men and women who are behind the scenes, and I guess maybe some women now, but not in the past. But the people who were those, you know, general managers and scouts. Uh, you know, c- give me some names that you would think if there was a you know a top three, top four, five list of, of the great general managers of all time. Uh, who would you throw in there uh, on that list? You know, it, it's hard for me to to go back in time because I don't know what the structures were uh, on general managers. But, um, you know, some of the ones like Jim Finks, I think you got it. You know, Jim Finks to me would be in any era. Uh, and obviously he was in Minnesota. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the modern guys who've been put in, uh, you know, I work with Bobby Bethard and Ron Wolf and Bill Poley and George Young should be in there. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense why he's not in there. Um, I'll give you a name that no one ever talks about. And his name, it's Benici, and I forget his first name, but he was the architect of the Packer teams in the 50s and 60s that won those championships, and he died in his 30s, tragically. And, you know, he's a name that uh, uh, should be put up there with, you know, the all-time architects uh, in, in the National Football League. Well, that's one of the coolest parts of this uh, NFL 100 all-time team is all the different stories in the history. So if you love it, make sure that you go watch that uh, on Friday. Charlie, I I was hoping to ask you a little bit about your opinion as a a man who was in front offices for a very long time and a general manager for a long time about uh, Kirk Cousins and the potential decision the the Vikings are going to face here about whether to give him a contract extension. What do you make of the way that um, quarterbacks and their salaries have become Become so huge compared to the rest of the money spent with the rest of the positions. I think that makes it much harder because if you just base that on his play this year, he's been really good and over his career put up great numbers. But uh, those decisions become tough when you're talking about thirty-five to forty million dollars and taking up twenty-five percent of the cap. So, how would you weigh that uh, as a front office person? I say there's two things. What's your alternate? Okay. Uh, always start with what's your alternate. Uh, the second thing is the salaries for quarterbacks have risen because of the, uh, and Kirk Cousins is the, the greatest example, of the uh, franchise take. In other words, what happens is, and, and, and the Gallus is going to go through this with Prescott, and I, I had to do this in a little while back, so I don't remember what the numbers were I projected for him, but let's just say it's $30 million, okay, is the, is the salary cap number. Um, then next year it's 36. And then after that, it gets up into, say, 50 for the third year. So, like the Redskins, you can't afford the third year. Um, but if you don't sign him and give him the next highest deal in the league, like, say, Russell Wilson got, and he's certainly a very good quarterback, uh, or Carson Wentz, then you face the, what do we do? Uh, when we get to the, uh, we can't franchise him in the third year. What's our alternate? There isn't an alternate. So, the, the franchise number, has caused the quarterback salaries to escalate at a level far beyond some of them what they're worth. and But you have no alternate. So you're going to pay it, and then you're going to figure out what to do with the rest of the football team. Have you Dallas looked... facing it with Dak Prescott right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Have you ever uh, you know, done any research on 
whether teams should just sort of not go after the quote unquote franchise quarterback and, and pay thirty million dollars and just stick with you know quarterbacks like Jared Goff and of course when Russell Wilson and and, uh, and Colin Kaepernick when they when they were in their rookie contracts their teams sort of had a decided advantage because they had more cap dollars for other positions. Have you done any research or do do teams talk about possibly going with that type of sort of business model to not have that super expensive franchise quarterback? Well, you know, I, I'm sure. See, I, I don't do that in television. I'm sure teams do that. But but let's just take this: you draft Russell Wilson in the third round, thinking he's going to be a backup, and all of a sudden you win a Super Bowl with him. All right, now he gets to the end of the. Now he's at the end of his contract. What's your alternate? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's your third round draft choice that's going to take over the team? Uh, so the Ron Wolf model was draft a quarterback every year. Uh, so you had something, and if it doesn't work out that you need him, you can go trade him. Uh, but that quarterback has to come through, and how do you know he's going to come through? Because he's not going to play. So that that's really when you get into the reality of making decisions is where you are. I mean, the Redskins let Cousins go and signed Alex Smith, and I think they were 6-3, and three, and then he had basically a career-ending injury, and, and they haven't been able to win since then. So it's, you know, what's your alternate? That, that's the thing. If you have a young one, then maybe you let the guy go and keep going. But it's hard to let Russell Wilson go, see. Oh, yeah. I mean, doing. I think Russell Wilson and, and some of these guys that are sort of the your top five, top eight guys. But, you know, you know teams like uh, the Minnesota Vikings, you know, for $28 million to pay Kirk Cousins or a lot of other teams playing – Paying twenty plus million dollars for someone, you know, really sort of average uh, from the that sort of ten to twenty mark. Um, I, I've always thought that you know maybe that's a spot where you you don't pay that money to that guy, be, and then you try to find somebody for for much much cheaper. We've just seen that sort of model have some success recently when you found a, a young quarterback, uh, you know, because because they are so inexpensive, and we've seen a, a couple of those teams get to the Super Bowl in recent years. Right, but they get, but you know, Goff was, excuse me, well, Wentz was a high draft choice. Yeah. Goff was yeah. a high draft choice. They were first round draft choices taken at the top of the draft, where if you're winning with a quarterback, you know, like Minnesota, I mean, the Minnesota example is perfect. You know, at some point, they've got to decide that they pay Cousins, um, whatever the number's going to be, that I knows, okay, or what is their alternate. And the best way to gamble would be to draft somebody high. Uh, when Cousins is in the, in, the, in the beginning of his contract, and then after three years, maybe you hit on that guy, and then you go play him. Yeah, and, and that's really, and that that's your role. You have, you have to have somebody in the pipeline. You can't count on having somebody out on the street. Yeah, and that's why this draft year is going to be fascinating because there is a case to draft quarterback, but it's also a case to try and make your team better and go compete for a Super Bowl. Um, last thing for you, Charlie, just what's yeah. what's exciting to you down the stretch here? I mean, the NFC playoffs for us are what we're talking about every day, about how this uh, could work out, who the Vikings could end up playing, and then there's so many good teams that are in it. Um, but is there is there something that has really caught your eye this year that you cannot wait to see how it plays? plays out as we go down the stretch of the season. You're right about uh, a lot of great storylines. It's almost like it's a tournament. You could play this thing three or four times and have a different winner each time. Uh, I still think the two most fascinating things as we sit here today, and it evolves, is Baltimore with their offense in the playoffs, okay, and Lamar Jackson. As teams get, uh, they play better teams, teams see more of them, get more tendencies, and all of a sudden, it's slowing down over the last two weeks. Now, they play two really good defenses, but again, I, I see some 
potential tendencies beginning to come here. And then the New England Patriots. Uh, thank God for Cincinnati. Okay, <laughs> Cincinnati's right. going to get them out of the losing streak. Yeah. All right. Uh, but they, they'll play Buffalo at the end of the year. And, and if Josh Allen ever plays a good game against a good team, they'll beat him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's what comes down to there because New England should not have beaten Buffalo the first time. So what happens with, with New England? Are they going to be one and done? Do they get in there with a buy in that first round? Um, I think that's kind of a fascinating story to me, too. Well, that's why we love it so much, Charlie. We never know how it's going to play out. So uh, make sure you follow Charlie on Twitter at Charlie Casserly. And watch on Friday night. He was part of the Blue Ribbon panel to decide the NFL 100 all-time team. 7 o'clock Central NFL Network. Really appreciate your time, Charlie. This was fun. Hey, great to be with you guys. Yep. Thank you. And make sure you uh, take care, man. Thanks, you. Um, I'm so bad at those. So bad at saying goodbye. I'm bad on like the phone in general. Like, thanks, okay, see ya. Are you a guy who says bye last, like, no matter what? I like, think I bye. just hang up. Bye. I think I just yeah. hang up at this bye. point or, yeah. or, or whatever. No, so. I already hung up like five minutes ago. <laughs> I, um, I, for me, I wonder, I, might, I had one more sort of question I was, I was hoping to ask him is, I wonder how many, uh, you know, of those old hogs from back in those skins days will make... Uh, that NFL 100 list, you got to think at least one of those. I mean, you think of like great offensive lines in the history of the NFL. You know, the, those hogs of, uh, well, I guess the the 80s and early oh, 90s, yeah. they, oh, yeah. they had their own thing. You know, I mean, when I was playing for Washington in 2001, you'd show up at a you know charity golf tournament or some sort of uh, a big fundraiser or something, and you'd have these grown men come dressed in in flower dresses wearing uh, hog things on their face. It's like a thing there. Normal NFL you know I mean? franchise. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So I, I got to think uh, a couple of those guys from the skins will, will make that uh, at least a guard or center, maybe Joe Jacoby or or uh, you know some of those guys might make it. So that that was a very – and the offensive line is yet to come, uh, yet for this NFL 100 list, the, the centers and the guards and the tackles. So uh, we'll see how all that unfolds. Yeah, I've been uh, all sorts of mad about it, uh, the 100 list, uh, because there have been some players that I thought, how did this not happen? How did Darrell Revis not end up on this list? Uh, but those are the hardest ones to decide – what recent players belong on the list when you're also including guys from the 30s? It's, it's just a, it's an impossible task, but also one that I find really fun. Like I, I kind of want to make my own because I love to go back and look at Pro Football Reference and look at who they say is the most valuable players and things like that of of all time and try to statistically compare throughout eras, which their statistic approximate value does, and then compare it to who these guys decided to pick. Now, of course, it doesn't include anybody from the 30s, um, but uh, certainly someone like Darrell Revis probably got the short end of the stick here, I think. Yeah, he's he's a great player. I would say the best, you know, consistently the best corner for about an eight-year stretch here, uh, and, and you don't see that as much anymore. A lot of times you have guys like, um, you know, right now it's the – Oh, I can't think of his name. The, the kid that just got traded to the Rams. Uh, he, he's probably Jaylen the best. Jalen Ramsey, yeah. Jalen Ramsey. You mean should have been traded to the Vikings. That's yeah, what we well, were going to yeah, for, not, for not for two first-rounders, he <laughs> shouldn't have. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Revis was a very, very good player. But a lot of times you have guys like Ramsey who are the best for maybe a year or two. Yeah. But Revis yep. was best for an extended period of time, which is why he kept making so much money. Uh, or, or whatever. So, and by the way, an interesting thing about Casserly uh, was that he has he 
he is on the, I guess, the right side of one of the great trades in NFL history. I'm not sure if you know that one, but you know when when Mike Dicka traded the entire draft oh, uh, with the New yes. Orleans Saints for Ricky yes. Williams in 1999. He was on the other side of that uh, w- w- with uh, with Washington, and he still got the 12th pick of the draft, and they got Champ Bailey and all obviously all the rest of of the draft. And so he was on the right side uh, of of one of the great trades. Uh, at least for Washington in NFL history. Yes, that is right. Um, and imagine a team trading their whole draft for a running back now. When we talk about how, yeah, uh, it's you crazy, just get a right? running back anywhere, and you probably could have then, too, honestly. And that, that was the unfortunate thing about Ricky Williams. He actually was good in New Orleans, but got hurt sometimes, like running backs do, and it ends up being just this massive bust. And Danny Warfel played quarterback for them. What a disaster. Well, they, yeah, you, you trade a whole bunch of draft picks away. Now you don't have... Other players in the team to make the the team better. Right. You know? So now it's just like all on the running back, and and uh, you know that just makes some sense. It is interesting as Dalvin Cook gets closer to to the end of his contract, mm-hmm. and who I firmly believe is the best or one of the best running backs in the NFL. Um, you know what did what does Minnesota do? Because if you look at the most recent running backs that have gotten huge deals, things haven't gone great for them. You know, Gurley has not been the same player, and. And obviously, uh, you know Zeke Elliott. They're you know they're six and seven over there in Dallas, and so you know teams have not had a ton of success recently when they paid some guy, some a running back, you know fifteen, or, you know in that fifteen million dollar range. And obviously, you know Dalvin Cook, I would assume, uh, will be looking for something like that. Le'Veon Bell got a huge contract with the Jets, and of course, are the Jets, and so that that'll be really interesting to see if the Vikings decide to pay him because he's such a great player. Or, or they decide, you know, it has not worked out for pretty much anybody else. Uh, maybe we shouldn't fall for that same trick uh, as well. I think they will. I think they will sign him because they, they have gone against sort of the numbers enough times with signings where you'd say, you know, a nose tackle isn't really worth that much unless he's a pass rusher, but they gave Linval Joseph a big contract and a contract extension. Anthony Barr is the one that I would point to and say that is definitely not a contract you'd hand out if you were considering positional value to take up that much of the cap next year. So so I, I, I guess I, I think, well, they would be the team to say, yeah, we hit on this draft pick. We love this guy. He's MVP level type of player. We're going to sign him, but it does go along with a lot of risks. It does, and, and maybe that's a point where you go with the um, the franchise tag, you know, because yeah, the, yes. there's a couple guys yep. making a, a, t- a ton of money, but after that, I don't, I don't know what four and five uh, are making as far as NFL salaries. Maybe that number drops down to something more reasonable, and they just sort of go one year at a time, you know, type of situation. Maybe even do it twice, uh, but you know, maybe don't you know sign to a long term, uh, you know, extension the first time. So again, that's obviously for the off season. Lot lot, lot uh, could happen between now and then. Uh, we're in that time of year where Carson Wentz got hurt a couple of years ago, and everyone had him uh, slid in as the MVP, and yeah, he yep. didn't even finish the season, and the team won the Super Bowl. So you know, a lot could happen happen with Dalvin Cook at the end of the season if they win the Super Bowl, and he has a heck of a run here. Oh, he's getting. He is going to get uh, uh, probably the biggest contract in NFL history for a running back. All right, so real quick, journeyman quarterback for the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers. They've had franchise quarterbacks a lot of times. Dan Humphrey's there for a while, and then, of course, Phillip Rivers taking up a lot of time. Um, But I'm going to go with John Freeze here. John Freeze had his time in San Diego a couple of years, played in Washington, Seattle, New England, did not have a second stint anywhere, but uh, spent time with a lot of different teams, and I'm going to go with him. 
John Freeze. John Freeze, College I'm Football just, Hall of Famer, actually. I'm just looking uh, at the list right now. Uh, where, where we go? How about Billy Joe Tolliver? Yes, Billy Joe Tolliver. Billy Joe, one is just a great one of the great names of a quarterback in NFL history. Yes. Uh, but uh, Billy Joe Tolliver uh, started off his career there uh, for for two seasons, San Diego Chargers, and then Atlanta Falcons, Houston Oilers, the Shreveport Pirates. That would be uh, what uh, USFL. I have no idea. Nineteen ninety five, Atlanta Falcons, Kansas City oh. Chiefs, New Orleans what Saints. Would that have been? And the 95. Green Bay Packers, yeah. So he, I mean, over the course of really 12, 12 to 13 seasons, uh, he was on about seven uh, different NFL teams. And so he's a guy that, that really, uh, re- really, really bounced around a lot. So, yeah, Billy Joe Tolliver, he's my journeyman quarterback of the week. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm trying, there, there isn't a lot of funny things about John Freeze except for his nickname was Deep. Deep Freeze. Oh. it's <laughs> great. Well, there you go. That's tremendous. All right, Sage, this is fun as always. We'll get together next uh, Monday, and we will have a lot to talk about after this game, Vikings and Chargers. So I look forward to that, man. Yeah, it should be, should be a great game uh, on Sunday. Uh, obviously, the Vikings have to win this. We talked about the other day. You know, Two out of three is what they're looking for here. Uh, and of those three, this is the easiest game. So this is a must-win for the Vikes. All right, sounds good. Well, we'll talk to you on Monday. Coming up next, Brian Murphy in studio. And he has thoughts on the New England Patriots, as only Brian Murphy could. So we will discuss... Uh, what's going on with the Patriots, and what their punishment should be for accidentally, whoops, my bad, we taped your sideline and got all your signals. Sorry, uh, we're going to discuss that a little bit more when we return, plus uh, the outlook for the rest of the year for the Vikings. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. They beat Chicago. They beat Green Bay. When they don't turn the ball over, they're pretty hard to beat. And, uh, you know, they've done a good job in those games, and um, they get some turnovers uh, defensively. But, you know, they're good They're good in a lot of, a lot of areas. So, you know, we're going to have to be really effective and, um, you know, understanding, you know, when their defense, the things that they allow us to do and the things they don't, being, able, being aware of the protection with these guys they don't have a huge amount of sacks but they got a lot of quarterback hits and then um then offensively they're you know they they'll run the ball but they're you know they they like to hit big plays especially on first down so we're gonna have to be do a good job there ah yes first down that is a time to try and do good at the football back here on purple daily matthew collar along with brian murphy in studio this is gonna be your last time joining us for the year brian I think so. It seems that way. I I wouldn't rule out maybe a holiday week gathering, right. depending on how my schedule shakes out. But yes, my my free time is 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 dwindling or about to really dwindle here. Soon. Okay, well, it's only because you're going to earn absurd amounts of cash with a new job you're taking. So uh, since you'll be stupid, I crazy didn't know rich, that. yeah. Well, that's that was what I, I heard. was not led to believe that. Oh, uh, well, this is uncomfortable. No, I I'm going to be making <laughs> I'm going to be making money, which I haven't really been doing. <laughs> For nine months, allegedly, uh, you know, you guys throw me some pocket change that you get out of the couch cushions, couch cushions here every once in a while. I don't know where we got. But I'm it, having but fun. This has been you. good for my mental health. <laughs> I've enjoyed this more for the uh, the spiritual awakening that yeah, has caused in me than than anything financially gained. But yes, I will be joining corporate America starting next Monday. Thomson Reuters for those who care. Digital marketing for those who care even le- less. 
Um, <laughs> but I might. I'm going to hang around press boxes and still just uh, try to maintain some kind of a, a, a connection to my former life. Okay. Well, you are always welcome on the show, as you know. So we're going to talk with uh, George Shahuri of Pro Football Focus in a little bit here, and uh, a lot of things on the table there, including the NFC race. And I also want to get his take on just Stephon Diggs's year, where he's become one of the top receivers in the NFL in, in yards per catch after last year being toward the bottom. And I, I want to get to the bottom of that with George Shahuri, the statistical analyst there for uh, Pro Football Focus. We'll do that in a bit. But, uh, you know, Brian, when this Patriots thing came down, I thought, I, I hope Murph's coming on. I just, I, just or, or I, thought, I, I hope this is happening. I was hoping you'd say, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And then no, I would have come on an hour ago. Uh, <laughs> with a torch. <laughs> Me? Remember <laughs> no. where I came from. I know. Uh, we we had, when I was in Buffalo, a close, uh, up-and-personal look several times a year at the New England Patriots and their operation. And, you know, there's just, there's even things you forget that they do. Like, remember when Mike Tomlin started hearing, you know, hooked on a feeling or something in the fourth quarter in his headset when they were trying to... Um, you know, lead a game-winning drive in New England, and all of a sudden his headset starts playing a radio broadcast, and, and, and just these weird things. And everybody has always said it. Alex Boone said it yesterday. There's always something going on there with that team, and I can't believe anyone would give them the benefit of the doubt on this thing, especially since they took eight minutes of video of the sideline. That's not B-roll. That's entirely taking video of their sideline to get their signals to try and cheat and beat them. I'm sorry, it's really hard to convince me otherwise. And it's a very ironic, too, that one of the most media-friendly or unfriendly organizations uh, in professional sports would use media relations to gain <laughs> access and yes. find a loophole in getting your somebody in your organization, let's just call him a mole, uh-huh. maybe a, a, a dupe, Granted, he was wearing a Boston's Bruins jersey. He wasn't exactly there uh, in an official-looking Patriots capacity, but I'm uh-huh. sure that was part of the plan as well. Let's let's make you look as useless and douchey as possible. Maybe have him have a, a Dunkin' Donuts, you know, styrofoam cup in his hand as well. But get your Bruins jersey on. Get over there. Act dumb. Act stupid. Don't reveal Ask anything. Ask where to park the car. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, look. I, I, Look, maybe maybe this is just the way he wanted to maybe have the thing complete completely go away. But the first question, the first moment he was confronted by Brown's media uh, after Bengals media had noticed he was pointing the camera very long, for a long period of time at mm-hmm. the sideline is well, maybe maybe we can just delete the footage and just make this whole thing kind of go that away. The smoking gun that, right there. That is is yeah. That that I would say is you know. We can uh, we can raise that kind of money and and pay off the the Watergate burglars. I think uh, in Law and Order, Jack McCoy gets an easy conviction. They make a deal. There's so much evidence here that they'd be saying, "Oh, Jack, make the deal." Like go down to Rikers and make I mean, a deal. I mean, there's just the, the, I, I have heard attempts at. Uh, justifying this by saying, well, it was just an accident. Those guys didn't know what they were doing. Just like the deflator, right? Of the, it was, there's always some schmuck who's involved in these things who becomes sort of at the center. 
Uh, and I saw another explanation was, well, I mean, this guy clearly wasn't a professional working for them because he had a Bruins shirt on. Sure, of course like, not. Uh, you and I have been he, in No, he was an boxes. independent contractor, yeah. Yes. too. Yeah. We've been in some press boxes, and we've yeah, seen... It's not exactly uh, a, a, a walking runway there for fashion in a in an NFL press box. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, nothing would surprise Well, I mean, me. if you remember the original Spygate, which, you know, God, you know, can we just get rid of the gates, by the way, too? I, I know it's convenient. It's lazy, though. I'll tell you what. It was named after a hotel in Washington that was burglarized... I love it, though. ...45 years ago. We don't need to affix gates... I think it's hilarious. ...on every scandal. I disagree. During the original... <laughs> spying scandal uh the nfl found that the patriots already had their excuses at hand if yep. you remember yep. when they got caught filming another team mm-hmm. one of them was tell them you need the footage for a team show <laughs> this sound and guess what happened right we are filming this for look what our advanced scout does yeah. and look what our ticket take taker does and look what the guy who pox the players car does look yeah. at his job on a daily <laughs> yeah. basis but oh by the way we're going to get about 10 minutes of footage on the uh, the next team's coaching staff. So I, th- I think the next question here, though, is, and, and let me just respond to one more hilarious thing where people say, well, it's Cincinnati. Well, since- Yeah, why would they need to uh, scout them? Here, here's why. You lose to Cincinnati, A, your home field advantage becomes not a home field advantage in the playoffs anymore. And guess what? Then you can't mess around with everybody's headsets if you have to go on the road. So anyway, put that aside. Uh, also... Your team stinks right now. That's why you think Bill Belichick looks at another NFL team and goes, poor one and 12, who cares? No. He's, he's not sleeping all week because I know Zimmer's like this. When the Vikings are playing someone terrible, a lot of times he's really anxious leading up to it because it's embarrassing if you lose that game. There's every reason to try and steal stuff from that team. Plus, Andy Dalton's back. They're playing okay now. At least they look like a real football team. You don't want to lose to them. There's every reason to go there. But the bigger question, Murph, is how tainted is it? It's not just, is it tainted? Oh, it is. It definitely is. When your uh, legacy starts with cheating and is bookended by cheating, it's very hard to say, you're the greatest of all time. You're the greatest of all time. You, you, You guys are untouchable in the pantheon of football when... You've been caught cheating in multiple different ways. It's not even just one. It's several different ways of of things that you've done and been caught and been punished for and will be punished for again here. So there's no way that I can look at Belichick and Brady and say, yeah, you know what? Nobody is in their air because they're just better than everyone else because of rings. Well, I don't even know if they got those rings legit. Well, there's there's the, the counterpoint, which is since 2007 and since they had their first round uh, draft pick docked in the original spy scandal uh, since Belichick was fined, I think, about $500,000, which is a record. The team itself was fined. Um, If that's not enough to sort of, you know, if that's not enough of a deterrence, uh, I think maybe the league should try to go nuclear on this and set an example, even if it is not as nefarious. Now, it's going to get litigated because it always will. It'll end up in court. Sure, But... If if Bob Kraft does not get the message in 2007, and he doesn't get the message in 2000 and what 14? When was DeflateGate? I be, yeah, 2014 or 15. Yeah, okay. must must have been 14, and we went through it a million times in 15. Yeah, it seemed like it just went on forever. But yep. I if if you know maybe two maybe two first round picks, uh, maybe the coach takes a seat for a couple of weeks. 
Uh, I, I think Belichick I think it, should be suspended for a year if this if this is found to be connected to him in any way. But of course, the mob boss, you never connect them no, directly. Of course not. But, there's 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 no paper trail. There's but, not going to be any. No, people are going to be. Nobody's going to roll all the way up right, to Belichick. Right. That's just not going to happen. We understand no, that. There's no but amount of money that would matter to them. No, money's not an so issue. You can't about find a billionaire. Right. 500K um, is like the punter. So like, well, who cares about 500K or something like that to Robert Kraft? I think it should be. Didn't Now, wait, was it Sean Payton who got suspended for the uh, bounty gate? Yes. Same thing. I think it should be the same thing. Same suspension. I think Belichick, if this is exactly what we think it is, then Belichick should be sat down for a year, and that should be a black eye on his legacy forever, which I already think it should be. And that's that's my question is, are we going to look back at this historically and sort of ignore it, or is this going to be their steroid type of thing where Barry Bonds, man, we could talk all day about how, what a great Pittsburgh pirate he was, but you can't say the name Barry Bonds without steroids right next to no, it. No, nobody acknowledges his 73 home runs anymore. And and I feel like we're close there with me. And and I've always been really put off by this and frustrated by this. I think they won the first Super Bowl by doing this stuff. And I look at it the same way with the Houston Astros. Like, there, there's no justification here. There's no, oh, I'm sure everybody else was doing it, like with steroids. Nobody else has been caught doing crap like this. So I look at it as, yeah, you deserve to have your legacy tarnished. And whenever your name comes up, we should also play the South Park episode where they made fun of Bill Belichick. I just. <laughs> I, Please tell me you've seen that. No, I have oh, not. Oh, God. Sorry. Funny. And if you're, you know, here's again, in a, in a story that is just dripping with irony. If you're sending a crew, a video crew to another team's press box to collect footage for an episode of a series that is called, quote, Do Your Job, Mm -hmm. which, of course, is one of the cliches that they spew all the time, you know, all business, no fun, Patriots. Then if you're the Patriots, I mean, of all franchises on this planet, I would like to think you'd have the people in place that are going to actually do your job correctly (laughs) and had to do it according to regulations and executing a game plan the way that Bill Belichick would demand of his coaching staff. That's why I Uh, want you on the show. You are already, (laughs) already looked at askance. Every person in your organization is looked at with a little bit of suspicion. Yeah, and because nobody. Is has been able to escape sort of the ire and the just the general attitude of that franchise that pervades from craft on down. If you're going to produce in house a do your job segment, then I would think do your job the people that yes. are doing that job <laughs> should not say immediately after getting caught. That's the best. Maybe we can just delete this and make it all go away. Oh, that's the, that is the best. Um, so we'll continue to follow it. I'm interested to see what the NFL does because I'm hoping. Here's one real quick too. I hope they drag this out. Don't don't solve it right away. Right. Yeah. Let them stew in it in their own mess. Yep. Let Belichick have to come out there every Wednesday, and even though he's going to be on to Cincinnati every week. Let him have to answer these questions. Yes. yes. Let him have to, let Brady have to deal with it. And every know, week up until the playoffs, maybe even throughout the playoffs. You know what the best part too is? Um, now you have kids, and kids will get their hand caught in the cookie jar, and then you'll say, uh, "Why were you eating that cookie when you can't do that before dinner?" See, what happened was I was going up into that 
same drawer where they were, and I was looking for scissors, and then there was to a do my that, homework, right? To do my homework, and then what happened was my favorite part of all of these gates that go along with the Patriots, which we just disagree on that. I think putting gate on stuff is hilarious, but uh, every one of them has some long convoluted explanation, like. Bill Belichick going up in front of everybody and playing my cousin Vinny with the, you see, if you put it in the cold and then it's, the ball could shrink and then there's science and what are, all these other things, which um, it does happen to my basketball when I leave it in the car in the cold, but it better be much colder than it was that day. That aside, uh, this one has a long, hilarious explanation, too. A man it, who, a few words, by the way. Right. It's like lying 101 is, Babble. is way too many things that you're trying to Look come at up this with. over so, here. Yeah. Don't pay attention to what's going on over here. <laughs> right. We see a little of that going on in Washington, but uh, just occasionally. Um, so, all right, Murph, let, let's talk about the Vikings here. And there's very good news from the Vikings today. One is that Adam Thielen is practicing. And we've num- heard that before. Two is that Adam Schefter says that he is in line to play on Sunday against the Los Angeles, and I will probably call them at some point, San Diego Chargers. So my question would be, I'm not saying don't bring him back, just leave him on the bench, but how they reintegrate him to the offense will be interesting because I have a little old article there at scorenorth.com that you can view at the center of our website, and there's a chart. I know you love charts, Murph, and it shows... Kirk Cousins throwing to everyone else except for Stephon Diggs and how he's performed since Thielen went down, and it's remarkable. Pretty diverse. He has a quarterback rating of 120 when he's throwing to anyone else but Stephon Diggs over the last, essentially, month and a half. And I showed the clips in the article, if you want to go look at them, of how that you see Cousins go through his progressions and just find someone who's good at football open, like Delvin Cook underneath or Irv Smith uh, breaking out in front of a safety because he's turned out to be a good player. Even Laquan Treadwell has eight catches on 12 targets since Adam Thielen went down, and that makes your offense very dangerous. I would not want to see them say, well, he's back, so we got to make sure we try to get him the ball, and that's where you get yourself into trouble. They need to keep using everyone. They didn't do that early in the season. So ease him back in? I don't know what exactly what the answer is other than don't try to scheme stuff specifically to him all the time in this this next game. Well, it's not necessary as you pointed out. I mean, they've had they've gotten more depth offensively than they've had in years, probably mm-hmm. a decade. Yeah. Uh but I think it's also important maybe for Thielen's confidence too to get some balls into his hands quickly because uh you need him to to you know take a few hits. You need him to run some routes. You need him to test that thing out. And you also want to, I think, give him some confidence that mm-hmm. that he he can reintegrate pretty well. It's one thing to say it, but this is a guy that has not missed a lot of time. He's never missed any time prior to this injury. He's going to need to get that feel and get it pretty quickly. And this is not a bad opponent to do that against. Yeah, I, I do think uh, the Chargers are a team where you do need to be at full strength to beat because they are surprisingly good for a team that's five and eight. And they and lose heartbreakers they, every time. And I'm, I'm sticking with this, that somehow a field goal comes into play here with this game. <laughs> and I don't know whose karma is going to show up and, and who tells me Philip rivers yeah. is going to have the ball in his hands with about a minute and a half left <laughs> and a couple of time. Outs, yep. And it's going to be tight every single time. Um, but I think in terms of for sort of the future of this team, and for their chances that's immediate and long-term, that Thielen being out here, uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, 
maybe like a, a movie where you see coming of age, right? And the kid starts off teenager with his angst and so forth, and then he goes through things, and we're all better at the end for it. Uh, I feel like it's this way with this team, where what they went through early in the season, Stefan Diggs uh, getting his mysterious cold, and uh, that's finger quoting with the cold, and he has to skip practice a couple days when he wasn't supposed to, and all that stuff, and the drama, and, and having people call them about trades for Diggs, and then Thielen immediately goes down a couple of weeks later. And, and the fact that they've been able to overcome that and have so many people step up, think about the confidence level of Irv Smith. B.C. Johnson. B.C. Johnson is a great example. Throwing to B.C. Johnson since then, Kirk Cousins is 17 for 29 with three touchdowns and 105 quarterback rating when throwing to B.C. Johnson, a guy no one ever heard of. And I was making the joke that we'd be seeing him in the XFL when he started training camp. And think about how much he's developed since then into a legit wide receiver. And the other thing, too, is... How does Chad Beebe feel, by the way? Just yeah, to... I know. Well, that's the NFL, right? Yeah. Uh, next, next man, man up. up, Murph. Next uh, uh, slab of meat maybe off little, the hook. a little rusty there on, on your uh, cliches. Um but even Kyle Rudolph, early in the season, I guess you could give him credit for saying, no, I love blocking. I love blocking. That's what they pay me for. Yeah, come on, Kyle. Come on. Like, No, you don't. And uh, he's he's been fine as a blocker this year, better than in the past, I would agree. But it's smart to get Kyle Rudolph involved in your offense in the red zone. And Cousins, a lot of times, would try to force it to Adam Thielen in the red zone. And now he's throwing it to Rudolph no matter where he is and letting him be a basketball player. I just think that they're a much better team for having gone through this. And they can certainly get Thielen back involved. But if they had never done that, I'm not sure if their offense would be as good as it is right now. It's been tested, both emotionally, spiritually, Professionally, <laughs> pragmatically, <laughs> all of the above. Yes, they have gone through a lot. Of, you yeah. know, look, they will look back on walking off the field at Soldier Field as sort of a turning point if mm-hmm. this becomes a successful season. I don't think there's any question about that because the the performance that they laid uh, out on that field that day, losing uh, to you know, well, they, Chase I, Daniel. I know, but I guess I'm I'm thinking back. I'm like, well, maybe they would have wanted to face Mitch Trubisky at that time. I guess that wasn't possibly. A bad, he was bad playing really off. poorly, yeah. Um, but to come off and then to to face the the nagging questions all week of well, why is your uh, you know your top receiver not here and why is he pouting and why is why is your quarterback apologizing and plunging on his sword day after day here? Why is this becoming uh, a two and two team that you know is is on track to being? another 8-7-1 and one disappointment, and then to turn it around, mainly on the back of your quarterback. Again, we're still looking We're still looking for the market. We got, you got the primetime win that gets watered down every week because Dallas keeps falling. falling Certainly apart. does. Um, you, you didn't win in Seattle, but you didn't lose because of Cousins. Uh, you did what you needed to do against Detroit. You know, it's the next one again. The Chargers game can't overlook it. I think they'll be fine out there. Then it sets up your division showdown with Green Bay. I think this team is battle tested. I mean, it hasn't had anything handed to him. It seemed like with the the thirteen and three Keenum year, there's a lot of you know fairy dust that was sprinkled over that team even yeah. before yeah. the Minneapolis miracle. We're talking about uh, watching Bradford basically fall apart and then having uh, Case Keenum come in into your rescue and you know throw, winging the ball over all over the field. You had a, a Hall of Fame type defense. Um, you had things go your way. You stayed relatively healthy otherwise. Um, this team has had to battle injuries. It's had to battle self-doubt. It's had to retool itself. Um, defensively, there's still a lot of question marks. But I, I, I feel like 
I would feel better about this team going into the playoffs 11 and 5 as a wild card team to maybe I don't want to say do damage cuz that implies that they'll be playing in February, but they could give themselves a good chance. Uh maybe even more so than the 13 and 3 team that sailed into the playoffs and needed a miracle to get to Philadelphia only to get beat down. See, Murph, I I feel like you must be thrilled to be joining Corporate America. Like you're sounding very rosy right. about where this well, team is. Well, and I am also yeah, but I'm also starting to speak that language too. Did I did I say the word derivative? Uh, I think you told Did I say deliverable job? Oh, okay. I just didn't know if I was talking about <laughs> cross-functional teams doing Bringing deliverables to the oh, table. What? I've read some what? of those in job descriptions. I don't know. I, I don't either. Did uh, you hit your head? HR uh, sits down and comes up me? with these. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, you know, I, I've been trying to poke around and look statistically and find teams, Minnesota Vikings teams, that compare to this one in terms of where they rank in points for and points against. Because At this stage as, of the season? or Well, just, you know, we're far enough along to where it's probably not going to change a ton. Unless Phillip Rivers puts 60 on the Vikings, they'll be around the top 10 in, in each. Right now, they're 7th in both. I would expect them not to finish 7th. Like They're not facing David Blau again. But let's say they even just play about this good and they finish 7th. And a lot of times, it's been one side or the other with this team throughout its franchise. Even, you know, you, you go back to when Culpepper was throwing it all over the place and they're top six in offense and then 26th or 23rd in defense. One year, they're eighth in points for and 30th in points against. And that was, that was often a theme. You actually have to go back to either. 2017, like you mentioned, where they were 10th in points and 1st in defense. That's pretty darn good. In uh, 2015, they're 16th in points and 5th in defense. Again, that's pretty good. But really, 2009 and 1998 were the last time you can find where they were, aside from 2017, top 10 in points on offense and, and defense. And uh, as much as it's fair to say, hey, what happened to Xavier Rhodes? It's weird. Uh, he can't run anymore or something. You know, right? Um, this team has some earmarks of teams that go deep in the playoffs, including their offensive explosiveness. And what's weird about it is they might not make it. Right? Like, I, it's a it's a very hard place to be in with this team because we should be talking about, well, they've got a great chance to go deep, but the playoff structure. And where we're at right now with the race, we're not even sure they're going to be in. So, uh, to that end, I don't know if they, is there a lot of lingering doubts that they're not going to get in right now. Well, here's why it's possible: because if Los Angeles wins three out of three or two out of three, and you lose one or lose two in either one of those uh, respective scenarios, yeah, they have tiebreaker. So they just get in and you don't. Yeah. And, I wasn't looking at the Rams resurgence lately because every time we come on, we haven't really, I haven't been on in a couple of weeks. So the Rams are suddenly relevant again. Right. So, right. So it, that's, it's very possible. And it's a weird place to be in to talk about them, you know, critically in some ways of like, you're going to beat someone who matters soon, but also the numbers you're putting up have really good signs. So we are going to ask George Shahuri from, Pro Football Focus about those numbers when we return. Matthew Collar, Brian Murphy, here on a Wednesday on Purple Daily. Jonathan here with the Score North download for this hour. A reminder, Destination Winter St. Paul featuring the Wells Fargo Winter Skate and the Securing Financial Super Slide is open now through February 22nd at CHS Field in St. Paul. The Wells Fargo Winter Skate opens daily at 11 a.m. And the Securing Financial Super Slide is open Thursday through Sunday. For more information, Visit scorenorth.com, keyword winter. If you missed the news earlier today, Adam Schefter reporting that Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen is expected to return to the lineup Sunday against the Chargers. 
barring anything happening in practice over the next couple days. So it could be the first time we see Adam Thielen on the field for the Vikings in four games. Let us know your thoughts, Vikings fans. Do you want to see him or do you want to see him just sit out the rest of the season and hope that injury gets better in time for the playoffs? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar and Brian Murphy. We welcome to the show from Pro Football Focus our buddy George Jahuri. What's going on, George? What's happening, guys? Live from the Cincinnati Y, uh, George Jahuri. <laughs> um, so, uh, George, this NFC race, man, I want to start there. It's been super fun to watch. And uh, two weeks ago or so, we're like, oh, Vikings are in pretty much. You know, it's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, Los Angeles emerges. Like with the rays of the California sun behind them, they are in the race all of a sudden. What are we to think about the Vikings trying to hold off the newly emerging Los Angeles Rams? Well... Uh, the newly emerging Los Angeles Rams, I think, are a little bit fraudulent. They've beaten some teams that are not particularly great, which has kind of been their M.O. this season, right? They've beaten the bad teams and gotten whipped by, you know, any of the good teams. So um, I, I'm not overly concerned about the Rams. Um, they have the Cowboys this week, which I think is a very winnable game. So, you know, if they do win that game on the road, um, then it is a little bit more concerning. Uh, but the Vikings are in the driver's seat, obviously, um, and have a Chargers team that is certainly, if you had the choice of playing in Los Angeles against the Chargers or in Dallas against the Cowboys, you probably would prefer the Chargers. Uh, George, staying a little bit here in the NFC North, uh, a, a matchup I don't think anybody really cared about a couple of weeks ago, a little more intriguing now, uh, Chicago visiting Lambeau Field and Green Bay, which, as you mentioned, with the Vikings being in the driver's seat for a playoff spot, the Packers are still in the driver's seat for the NFC North title. That said, uh, Mitch Trubisky has sort of gotten off the autopsy table and showed himself to be somewhat productive here. What do you look at in this game? Because people in this market are going to be following hoping for a Bears upset that maybe isn't as unlikely as it was, say, three weeks ago? You know, I don't think it's un- is. Yeah, you're certainly right. It's not as unlikely as it was three weeks ago. But I think the real reason that it's not that unlikely of an upset has more to do with the Packers not being nearly as good of a team as their record indicates. Their offense has really not gotten any better with uh, Matt LaFleur there. And so the reason that I think this could be an upset is that it's probably a low-scoring game. And uh, Mitch Trubisky has certainly played better because there was nowhere else to go but better. And so even though it's a small sample size, you figure, look, he won't be totally abysmal, which gives you a chance to beat uh, a Green Bay team that probably shouldn't scare you as much offensively as the names on the back of their quarterback's jersey might. So – um, you know, right now it's like, uh, you know, four and a half point spread for Green Bay, which I think shows that, you know, the public, as usual, likes, um, you know, gives a little bit of extra juice to the Packers. Um, but, man, uh, you know, Chicago is getting Akeem Hicks back. Um, they, they have had a fairly solid and talented defense for quite some time. Um, I think they've got a legit shot to keep this one close and win it at the end. 
So, George, it's really fascinating to me that the Vikings could end up out of the playoffs or they could end up with a home playoff game. And yeah. uh, the, the, the way that I've been saying it, though, tell me if you agree with this, is of all the teams in the NFC, it's in terms of trying to line it up the way you want it. If you're the Vikings, you would say, take the Packers here or there. Because I, I'm with you. I just don't think that they're a really great team. I don't see the same Aaron Rodgers that used to be there. I certainly don't see a whole heck of a lot of weapons that he has aside from Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. And a defense that started out kind of hot but is really faded. They've got some game records, but aside from that, they're just okay. And the fact that they beat Washington by, what, like five points last week? They're, they're, they're just not a really impressive team. And, and with the Vikings, if they could just take care of the business they're supposed to take care of, they could possibly end up with a home playoff game against Green Bay. And that would be, to me, the ideal situation going into the playoffs. Absolutely. So you look at the, the NFC, and unless you can find a way to play the NFC least uh, winner <laughs> at home. I'll give you I'll give you a courtesy uh, laugh on that one. I like it. Thank you. I've been... I've been using that for a couple of seasons now, and it's finally starting to catch on. <laughs> um, the you know that's the optimal. Like, look, if I have to play, you know, in Wild Card Weekend, please God send me to Dallas or Philadelphia or you know whoever they decide should win that division. Um, but the Packers are the team that you know. You look at the teams with double digit wins. You've got the Niners and the Saints who in according to our power rating and just I think the eye test and watch that game, game of the year so far, Saints Niners, they're in a tier of their own um in the NFC. And then you look at the other two ten win teams or double digit win teams, you've got the Packers and the Seahawks. The Packers and Seahawks are both fraudulently at ten wins. But the Seahawks have the better quarterback. And so if you're in the playoffs and you're like, okay, which team do I want to play? Uh, you want the team that has got, you know, that has kind of got there by hook or by crook, but still their quarterback is playing kind of mediocrely. If you have to face Russell Wilson in a close game, he, he's just been so good this season. He's the MVP of the NFL uh, this season. I know it's unpopular because Lamar Jackson has been so great, but he has played the best at the quarterback position this season. Um, so it's certainly the Packers uh, of that group that you want to play. I, I, you're dead on with that. Uh, George, you picked up where I was going to ask you about the MVP race a bit here. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is the breakout star. Uh, he's got a lot of eyes on him. He's doing a lot of different things. Well, not different things, but he's doing things that have been popular in the NFL in recent years, and he's doing them at a, at a really high level right now. But Russell Wilson is also a leader. Russell Wilson has also got some credentials. Uh, and I guess who's more responsible for their team's success right now, do you think, Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson? Well, there is the kind of argument of, um, well, Lamar Jackson's changed the culture in Baltimore and, and yada, yada, yada. And I'm not going to try and argue against that. I'm just going to argue for what they've done on the field and using you know, all of the things that we've learned mathematically, who has contributed more to their team winning. And when you do that, it is Russell Wilson, and it's not that close, and here's why. What Russell Wilson is asked to do is take a team that is average to below average basically everywhere else, particularly on the offensive line. And he is asked to play from behind. He has, he has been, uh, he's taken more than twice as many snaps, uh, when losing compared to Lamar Jackson. And yet 
propel this team to a 10 and three record. And when he does so, he does so by throwing the ball. And when you throw the ball, that is mostly on the quarterback. So the quarterback picks up the win shares for those plays. Lamar Jackson, on the other hand, while he's been phenomenal, has a scheme and a set of players, an offensive line for one that is the best in the NFL, that are helping create an environment in which he can be awesome. And he has been awesome. But when you run the ball, it simply depends on more of the ancillary pieces, the run blocking, the scheme, the play call, the situation, all of those things. So while Lamar Jackson has been my favorite player this season, the one that I most enjoy rooting for and watching, uh, Russell Wilson has been the more valuable one. Talking with George Shahuri of Pro Football Focus, and uh, we saw some of that in Seattle with Russell Wilson where everything went wrong against the Vikings. They find a way to pull it out, including him batting a pass to the other team, which I can't remember ever seeing anything quite like that, um, but uh, the, the rare mistake from Russell Wilson. Uh, something that has been really interesting to me, George, and I want to get your statistical uh, perspective on this. So last year, Stephon Diggs was averaging like 10 yards a catch, which is just you know about where most tight ends are. And this year, he's one of the top in the entire league in yards per catch and catches 70% of his passes, which is just bananas. I mean, even guys like Julio Jones are usually in the 60% range. Uh, what I guess what does that say about receivers and circumstances, and I guess him as well, for the value that he brings to the Vikings? Yeah, it's very interesting because he is graded similarly to how he did last year. And a big reason for that is that he's actually had more drops and fumbles this year uh, than he did last year. And those uh, kill you. I mean, those are bad plays, right? Mm -hmm. But he's got a ton more splash plays. And you bring up circumstance, and that is so massive, right? And here's what I point to for the Vikings. The resurgence of the Vikings offense and Kirk Cousins has been because they have run a lot of play action. And what play action does is it gives you more time. And regardless of how good your offensive line is, in fact, if you have a bad offensive line, you should still run a ton of play action because it gives you more time and you should just realize you probably need to run shorter routes because your offensive line is bad. But I digress. For the Vikings, it allows Stephon Diggs to get downfield and for Kirk Cousins to wait for him to get downfield. And so that's why on those play action passes, Stephon Diggs is just, eating opposing cornerbacks and defensive uh, backs alive. His average depth of target on play-action plays is 22 yards downfield. He's, he's got 406 yards uh, receiving on those plays, just fifth in the NFL. Um, and so I think that the just overall scheme for the Vikings has really helped him quite a bit. Uh, and obviously Kirk Cousins finding a little bit of mojo after that start. Uh, is huge, but uh, the receiver needs a quarterback that is going to deliver the ball to make plays and needs a scheme that's going to allow the quarterback to do so. And so that's why the results are much better on, uh, you know, most of the time. The drops and the fumbles are one thing, but most of the time, Stephon Diggs has had a lot of success, and that's the reason why, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it's just been a perfect fit with this scheme and both Kirk Cousins and Stephon Diggs. And George, I was thinking a lot about Stephon Diggs as a fifth-round draft pick the other day and looking back at the 2015 draft and how many receivers were taken that were just really stupid fast. 
Like, look at this guy's 40. Oh, my God. And then, you know, bust, of course, a couple of years later. I, I wonder how you guys look at wide receivers when they're coming out in the draft because you know, I don't know how it compares to other positions, but it seems like it's the one where you go, huh, that guy wasn't the fastest. That guy didn't have the best combine results or something, but yet look at his route running. Look at his contested catches. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that when you're trying to figure out which receivers, um, sh- should be on the field and how to use them best and, and which ones are going to come out in the draft to be successful? Yeah, it's a great question. We get really enamored with the combine. Why? Because guys are wearing tights and they're running fast and super fun. Super fun. I'll never apologize for it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a blast to go to. It's a you know it's a cool event. We're starving for football when it happens. But uh, in our college to pro uh, projection system, we leverage all the things. And combine is a very small piece of the whole thing. Look, if you're athletic, it's going to show up on the field, right? And if you're athletic and can play football, then you'll be productive on the field. And so there is, there is certainly a component of it, which is like, hey, if you're not athletic at all and you've been playing bad competition, then, then we're not going to like you a ton because we're going to normalize for all those things mathematically. Mm-hmm. But what we want to see are, above all and anything else, is guys that can perform and produce on the field at the college level in, in, in situations and in schemes that they're going to see at the NFL level. And what Stefan Diggs brought to the table was this incredible route running ability, right? And so you see a lot of guys in college who can succeed just kind of going downfield, you know, in a straight line. And what Stefan Diggs had is the, you know, I always thought he reminded me a ton of Antonio Brown. But their route running is just so precise. Antonio yeah. Brown, I believe, was he a fifth round pick, sixth round pick, something like that. Fifth, yeah. So, um, yeah, you you can find those guys, and, and oftentimes you'll find them in systems that um, you know don't get a lot of national attention or poor offenses overall for you know myriad other reasons. Um, so uh, you know, there's it's obviously the draft is hit or miss, but you can increase your chances of hitting by just not overweighing things that don't matter that much, and the combine is one of them. George, I wanted to uh, pivot to the defending world champions. Now, putting aside all of the the latest off field, uh, you know, kerfuffle and and stuff that we yeah. already uh, we got into at the top of the hour, they're ten and three, but they 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 don't feel ten and three. They don't look ten and three, and they they certainly don't look intimidating. Uh, opponents don't seem to be scared too much of the Patriots. If I'm a Patriots fan, and I would never be that, uh, but if I am, what what concerns me most at this point? Well, it's, uh, I was just talking about this with a couple guys downstairs, and I think what it is is that usually when they're struggling, they've got this well butt, and the well butt has always been, ah, they've got Gronk, and they're not using him right now. And they don't have Gronk, and so they can't use him now, and they won't be able to use him later. And last season, the struggles were on the defensive side of the ball. And you said to yourself, well, at least they've got Tom Brady, right? And now the struggles are on the offensive side of the ball, and Tom Brady looks kind of depressed back there. Right? <laughs> and they have, they have gotten rid of the two most athletic guys that they had running routes for them in Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown. And right now they've got guys on the outside that just, I mean, I, I think they can't win against anybody and they, they aren't, a, they, they're not smart enough. They don't have such a keen sense of the scheme 
to win with intelligence, which is what Brady has always been able to rely on, right? He knows so well what he's going to do that he gets rid of the ball as quickly as anyone else delivers it on time and accurately. But you can't do that if guys aren't getting open. And Brady's not going to scramble around for three plus seconds and then, you know, take off. So he does rely on that to a certain extent. I agree with you. They don't feel 10 and three. Um, they're lucky because they have such an easy road. And this year, they've lost to the teams they're supposed to lose to, which kind of sounds like, oh, well, that's okay. They lost to bad teams last year. But that was the thing. They lost to bad teams last year, and you just kind of wrote it off because they did beat, you know, Kansas City in that crazy game in, in New England, right? Um, they, they had some wins that gave you encouragement. And I think this year, they just don't have any wins that have given you encouragement. I mean, they've been, they've been hanging in games with trick plays to be perfectly honest. So um, it, it doesn't seem like there is a real reason to be optimistic about uh, their receivers all of a sudden gaining athleticism or learning the scheme perfectly. So, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think there is reason to be concerned, but not overly concerned given how easy their schedule is and the fact that home field matters, not having to play the first week of the playoffs matters, and Tom Brady is still playing well, and they have a defense that can cover. So all of those things – Bill Belichick, New England, you know, we shouldn't over-exaggerate, but it's okay to say that they are looking a little different, a little saggy. Uh, at this point in the season, a little saggy. Well, now now that we don't uh, that they don't have the Cincinnati tape, I don't know what they're going to do. So they're they're not going to not going to be able to pull it out uh, this week. George, uh, love listening to the PFF Forecast podcast with you and Eric Eager. I implore people to go Thank check you. that out, uh, and I appreciate your time. We'll catch up with you again soon, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. That's, All right, thanks, uh, George Shahuri. Follow him on Twitter. I think it's something simple like PFF George. You don't have to try to spell his last name. Declan was struggling with that. There's two H's in it. This is problematic. Um, uh, if you want to Heresy. get, uh, yeah, I know. It's just like who came up with that one? Um, so twenty five percent off if you want that from PFF. You want to become an elite member? If you want to be elite, you do. Murph, you look like you want to. Um, just go to pff.com. <laughs> type, type in the promo code radio, and if you're a fantasy football play uh, person or gambling or just love football, then uh, you can get their premium stats of which I use every day in my writing. So there you have it. Uh, Murph, before I let you go, I want to have a jersey draft. Jonathan? Yeah. Football music. I, I'm not speaking again until I have football music. There we go. All right. Okay. Jersey draft. All right. Jonathan, you're in. Any sport or only football? Just football. Okay. Mm. Here's why. Because I assigned myself the first pick, and I'm picking the Los Angeles Chargers in the powder blue. Number one overall pick in any jersey draft of football. I will take the Los Angeles Chargers. I hope they wear powder blue on Sunday because it's the freaking best. It's a great logo. The white helmet is amazing. Yes. Chargers have the best jersey in football when they wear powder blue. I was unprepared for this, so now I'm just kind of racking through my brain, going through my childhood almost. Like, what did I really want to do? And yes, Jonathan? Can I go with one? I'm going to. Sure, you go second. Yes. I'm going to take the old school orange Broncos jerseys. 
Is Ooh, that the Orange Crush. Wow, yes. okay. Go those, colorful. I love those. At They're the just, top of the draft, Jonathan, you're not even going to wait for them to drop, huh? I mean, okay, I'm not going to fight you're it. You're catching me out on those are classic on, on an island here, but I'm going with that one. That's the one at the top of my not, head here. Not the recent one that has no, no, like no, 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 the no. dark blue stripe mm, that no, no. goes up no. the nipple. No. I want the old school I don't like one. That. The Orange with Crush the, like, one. The old yeah. like B logo and the Bronco coming out of the it. The D logo. D logo, yeah. Okay. That's in Denver. Go ahead, Murph. Bronco. I got to go with the Steelers. They were my team growing up. You know, the black and the gold. And I and I what I love most about it is that I think they still do this. Maybe they don't, but I think they're the only team with just the one the logo yes. on one side, correct? correct. Yep. And I like that because that says all you need is one logo. We're the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're gonna leave the other side blank yep. to hell with everybody if you're not on the right side and can't figure out who we are. <laughs> and even the logo of itself, it's got it's got union history, it's the yes. United Steelworkers history to it. Um, they haven't they haven't messed around much. I mean, every team's got that old school, original, you know, out of the '30s jersey that mm-hmm. they've marketed. But otherwise, yeah, the bumblebees they've, they've left it alone pretty much. And uh, you know, they've obviously gone on to win some more Super Bowls, uh, looking damn good in those. I will pick the Oakland Raiders, and mm. uh, I will always think of them as the Oakland Raiders, just like I will always think of the Chargers as the San Diego Chargers. Never the L.A. Raiders. If, if they change anything. When they move to Vegas, about this jersey combination and that logo, it is the perfect logo for what they have been in football history. It is not going to mean as much when they go to Vegas, but right now it is just the best. The people dressing up like complete lunatics in the you know in that terrible stadium that they have there. It's it's just the perfect the Coliseum. Yes, that's not terrible. It's what? a great stadium. Yeah, I mean, it's in horrible shape. Yes, it the, thing is. Is like, the bathrooms don't even work. And I still so, got the baseball field yeah, out there the, too. The, which again, awesome, and I love it. And uh, I think it's just perfect for a bunch of pirates running around out there. So yes, uh, I will go with the Oakland Raiders. So our first, my first pick was Los Angeles. It's my show, so I decided to do this only so I could talk about how great the Chargers. Are in terms of their jersey. You went with Denver. You went with Pittsburgh. Oakland. Who's next, Jonathan? Uh, I'm going to go kind of along the same route Brian went. 90s Vikings jerseys, either the home or the way. It doesn't matter. They're great jerseys. It is a great logo. Yeah. It's just, you got that purple. You got the simple white with like the hoop of the purple and yellow. And that's different than now. They're a little more streamlined now, aren't they? It seems like it. Um,. But the yeah. horn, the horn brings it all together. Mm-hmm. I, they they finally sure. made the helmet match with the jersey <laughs> this year, so Long good time. for them on that one. I loved the horn though, like I really love, or I I, I loved how the horn looked when they were in their whites and the purple jersey and all it just, white. Yes, and, and they kind of had those stripes and, and stuff. The the old school Vikings logo and jersey is great. Okay. You get one more pick, and then I get one more pick. Because again, my show. Ah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here a little bit. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stay old school and and you know original franchise and go Chicago Bears. Um, Chicago Bears home jersey. Um, I just I like the. Um, it's the same shape of the numbers that they had from Dick, Dick Butkus and Gail mm. Sarah's era. Uh, you like blue with white pants? Mm, I kind of like. Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. I, I don't like the all blue, and I don't like. I do like the old all-white that they used to wear until the early 80s because the Super Bowl team had the white jerseys oh, and the blue right. pants, yeah. and they still have that. I'm yeah, not a yeah. huge fan of that. But I like the, the the C, too. It's very simplistic. Orange and blue is a good color together. And uh, they're, what, the oldest franchise, aren't they? Sure. I think <laughs> probably. 1920? It sounds yes. about right. I mean, if you said it at a party, I'd be like, wow, how about that? Um, if I'm, I'm ever hanging with you at a party, just put a... 
bullet and never mind. I don't even go to parties. <laughs> I know. I, I just watch football tape. <laughs> and bowl games. Bowl games. Very excited about bowl games. I'll pick the last pick, 49ers. Great jersey for yeah. 49ers. With when they went the back ones. to when they went back to the old school, which is what they wear now, it's just perfect. It is the perfect sports uniform. So there is your uh, impromptu jersey draft, and I'm really glad the Chargers exist so they can wear their powder blues. And just a big shout out too to the the Cardinals. I don't like that they're in Arizona, but I love the bird, the yeah. angry the bird. The bird is great. The bird is awesome. And it's gotten angry over the years too. Murph, speaking of awesome and angry, great to have you in. And uh, thanks for the mic. I appreciate the so time. Let's make sure this isn't the last time. I agree. Let's we will be. I will find a way back in. You've got sick time now, as you're one of them. Yeah, I'm going to have a lot of sick times. Right. So Don't there's nothing like calling kids. in sick and then going on the radio. <laughs> They'll never know. Uh, <laughs> all right, that's it for the show. We'll uh, catch you later. All right, see you, folks. Whether it's Fred Meyer, Simple Truth Turkey, or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Fred Meyer has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone.